Hi, this is John Harcher, and welcome to episode 6 of Valleys of Numenor. The Numenorean and Middle-Earth plot threads finally get entangled this episode. Where does it end up going? Someplace pretty important. Let's find out where. Episode 6, All Along the Watchtower. See what I did there? I tied my two podcasts together and I'll keep on grooving. Anyway, the last episode was called Partings. This one could have been called Joinings, but it has another name we'll talk about towards the end. It's extremely relevant. We got four writers on this one, Patrick, J.D., Justin, and Nicholas Adams, who, like the showrunners, hasn't really had a lot of credits to his name. The director is Charlotte Brandstrom, another prolific TV director. She actually directed a lot of episodes of Madam Secretary. I wonder if she did the one my wife was an extra in. Anyway, as we open this episode, Adar is ginning up the orcs and the straggling men to prepare them to ransack the place where the free men are hiding out. On the ground, somehow seeds are growing in the midst of a dead land. He tells them, hey, you're all free now and we're families, kind of like Dom Toretto, and it's time to take back our home. They head to the tower, and amazingly, they're able to walk right in. It's quiet in there. Too quiet. They find the monument to Sauron, and Waldrig, the weaselly old guy, asks where Sauron is anyway. The orcs are more interested in finding Arendir, but can't. Adar insists he's there because he can smell him. I guess that's an elf power. And sure enough, he's right, as arrows start raining down from a rampart. Arendir launches a flaming arrow into a rope on the tower, causing it to break, and the entire tower comes crashing down. Strong rope. The men are all hiding outside and get ready to head back to the village for the next part of the battle. On board the ships, Isildur is down in the stable area of the hold, taking care of his own horse. He goes on deck before dawn and runs into Galadriel. She hasn't met him before, but when he tells her his name, she immediately recognizes his father, Raymond. He wanted to get away from Numenor as it is now. The elf tells him the old one is actually still there. And with that, land appears and Elindil comes up behind him. Isildur leaves and he mentions even though the sun is rising and setting, it's the opposite of how it does on the island. Oh, and for those wondering, Elindil's wife died by drowning. Ironic for someone on an island, but not unexpected, I guess. A cool transition through the Queen's Looking Glass shows the Black Sword trying to be destroyed by Arendir, but the hammer breaks without it being dented. He takes it away to hide it where only he knows where it is. They try to prepare the village like Chris had Sotero do before Calvera arrived, you know, lots of new walls, lots of traps, that kind of thing. They have to wait until they see the Whites, or blacks of the orc's eyes before they prepare to unleash hell. Theo is afraid, but Bronwyn tells him something she did when he was afraid as a child. The shadow will pass, and there'll be light afterward. He then has her feel a tree. That's kind of weird. But then he says they'll build a farm together when all this is done. And finally, instead of talking her to death, he goes ahead and kisses her. That night, they wait and wait and wait before they finally see torches coming over the hill from the southwest. Thousands of them. So we're going to have a night battle. And 
Thankfully, Charlotte has learned from Miguel Sapochnik's one big mistake. When doing a night battle, make sure there's light. Torches will do just fine. The battle begins with a flaming cart into the midst of the orcs. Somehow the orcs know the people who can't really fight are all in the tavern. Everdeer ends up battling a giant orc and not doing very well against him. He jams a stick into his eye, but it doesn't seem to affect him. The orc then pulls it out and goes to jab the elf with it. It kind of resembles that fight scene in the end of Saving Private Ryan with Adam Goldberg and the German. It still creeps me out 25 years later. But Bronwyn shows up and stabs him in the neck. The fight is apparently over for now. Then they look at the dead. It's not orcs, but all their friends and neighbors who wanted to give themselves up and be saved. Didn't work out too well in the end, now did it? One of the orcs gives a little exposition before a torrent of arrows come raining down out of the darkness. First, the old bartender takes one. Then Bronwyn gets one right through the upper chest by the shoulder. They get her into the tavern, and they have to do the good old break-the-arrow-and-pull-it-out routine. Theo has to keep pressure on the wounds. It doesn't look like she'll make it, but the Afrin seeds will help if you dump them in and cauterize the wounds. They do, and it hurts so bad she passes out. Theo thinks she's dead, but give the lady a break. After a minute, she takes a gasp for breath. Adar wades in, and the orcs come to the tavern. Boy, we could really use the cavalry right about now. And what do you know? Out of the sunrise comes the Numenorean cavalry. Too much slow-mo for my taste, but that's what they do these days. In the tavern, the orcs overwhelm the men and capture everyone. Adar wants the sword. To prompt Arendir to tell him where it is, he starts killing a bunch of random people before figuring out Bronwyn is the key. They go to kill her, but Theo somehow knew where the sword was kept and goes to get it to save his mother. But when he does that, does he doom all of mankind? Outside, the water in the barrel begins to shake. I mean, is there a T-Rex around here or something? Nope, it's the Numenorean horses and the cavalry has arrived. They're pretty damn effective. One of the orcs has his arrow set right at Galadriel, but she does this upside-down twist in her saddle and while backwards slashes the orc in half. It's actually pretty cool. Elendil is in big trouble, and Isildur is not going to get there in time, but Halbrand does and saves the captain. Adar takes off with the sword, and Galadriel pursues. Halbrand comes around from the side and knocks the horse down with his spear. Don't worry, the horse gets right up. I have to think they left that shot in on purpose to make sure everybody knew the horse is okay. Don't worry. Adar crawls over to the fallen sword, but Halbrand impales his hand to the ground. He wants his big confrontation with them to complete their past disputes, but the evil elf doesn't remember him at all. The king-in-waiting goes to put his spear through him when Galadriel stops him. In the barn, which looks a whole lot more modern than the earlier scenes with it, I mean, I half expected Philo Beto and Jack Wilson to be beating the crap out of each other on the other side. Anyway, Galadriel pegs Adar as one of the Moriandor, the fallen elves. Good token-sounding name, but the concept is new-ish. Adar prefers the name Uruk. Oh, like the advanced orcs Uruk High. Okay, got it. Okay. She just wants to know where Sauron is. We then get to the Dr. Evil, why you keep a bad guy alive when you have a chance to kill him. The exposition where he tells you his plans down to the most minute detail. 
Sauron took the elves and men he swayed up north to his castle. I mean, think of him as an evil Santa Claus, I guess. And you don't want presents he's delivering. Adar claims after killing his own children and Sauron still not getting what he wanted, he killed the uh, Dark Lord. Galadriel doesn't buy it and swears to get rid of them all, but she's going to keep him alive to see them all dead. You know, kind of like her own version of the Curse of Hurin. But then she decides to forget it and goes to kill him anyway. This time it's Halbrand who stops her. This guy is so lucky other people keep showing up before he gets killed. Halbrand tells Galadriel he feels his life has purpose again, and Muriel names him to everyone as King of the Southlands. They see he wears that royal emblems or that seal for him. Galadriel gives Arendir the sword back, and he goes to Theo to tell him not to beat himself up over giving in to save his mother. He goes ahead and gives him the sword for one last time before giving it to the Numenorians. Theo really wants to try the power of it one more time, so he goes to stab it into himself. Only it's not the sword, but a plain old axe. At the Sauron Monument, Waldrig has the actual sword and does his best Uther Pendragon imitation and drives the sword into the stone. He does what Uther and Arthur couldn't. He turns the sword and it clicks into place. Turns out Arendir was right about it being a key after all. Isildur's horse Beric senses something is wrong. The dams by the river burst and a torrent of water pours into the caves underground. This causes explosions of water everywhere. The orcs know what's going on. Udun. Deep in the earth, the water goes further into a giant cavern under a mountain striking molten rock underneath. And when you put water onto hot rock, you get an eruption. Mount Doom has been born. The title of this episode, Udun, sounds like a made-up word in the Tolkien vein, like Moriandor, but it's a real term Tolkien created. It not only stands for the area where Mount Doom is, but also for the evil force that was used to create it. This episode stayed very focused on this area, and the vast majority of events took place here. We don't get any Harfoot wandering or what's going on with the dwarves, We'll get that next episode. It's interesting that this episode had four writers, yet, as I said, it was extremely focused not only in the area, but in overall tone. Mount Doom, or Arondruin, using Tolkien's actual name, did erupt towards the end of the Second Age, so with their compressed storytelling, it would fit within the story. Sauron had settled in Mordor before Mount Doom erupted, so it will have to be seen if he's actually already here. I mentioned it before, but it was really important to have the night battle actually be visible. Remember when Game of Thrones season 8 was being made and all you heard about was this epic night battle? Miguel was doing it. He'd done all those other really good battles, so the anticipation was built up. And the episode comes up and, you know, I'm pulling a Tom Servo, you know. Um, hello, remember us, the audience? May we see, please? That just headed to the disappointment in that whole situation. So good call on Charlotte and the cinematographer's part. Now, the whole thing about the fallen elves does play into what Tolkien had written. The orcs were actually created from captured elves back in the First Age, so it would kind of make sense the Uruk, later Uruk High, would come from a higher source. 
namely elves who willingly gave themselves over. Elves may not be able to be evil per se, but they can be corrupted. It's a stretch, but it does thematically flow from the idea that Morgoth was so evil he could corrupt men and elves alike. Sauron may be less so, but to some extent. So we've now gotten the creation of Mordor underway. Now we just need its master to show himself. Will he do it this season? Is he here already? We've got two episodes to find out. Next time, the dwarves keep digging and find out they may not be alone down there. And the Harfoots find, well, something new. Please remember to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to us. I'm John Hartrock. Thanks for listening. <laughs>